Hello, and welcome to A Lot to Process. This podcast features conversations among a diverse group of friends, writers, thinkers, educators, and aficionados about pop culture, books, lived experience, and current events. Our multi-generational, multi-racial creative team uncovers the problematic and the transcendent, bringing many identities, feminist, queer, straight, black, white, Asian, and more to the conversation. I'm your host, Carrie Osi, and today my co-host Sharon Lewis and I will explore issues of gender and sexuality in the new live-action Mulan film, which Disney Plus took out from behind the paywall this week, and we'll make comparisons to the 1998 animated film of the same name. In coming weeks, co-hosts Joanna Chen, Alex Sievers, Sharon, and I will continue our exploration of 2020 holiday movie offerings, delving further into Mulan, and then jumping into Happiest Season with a focus on where it fits in the pantheon of holiday movies and the story it tells about modern lesbian love. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Sharon about Mulan. Today, uh, we are happy to have a conversation between two members of our team, um, myself and uh, my dear friend, Sharon Lewis. And uh, when we're not recording, we love to talk about television, podcasts, movies, and much more. And so today, Sharon and I are excited because we are going to do a deep dive into uh, Mulan, both the new live action film that went on Disney Plus for $30 a few weeks ago, and the 1998 animated film. Sharon and I are going to look specifically at issues of gender, sexuality, queerness, representation of, uh, of different characters in terms of of their identity, and we're going to look at some subversiveness and uh, various tropes in in this. So I'm going to turn it over to Sharon. Sharon, what what would you say in kind of our previous conversations or some of our our big takes that we're going to dive into a little bit today? Yeah, I think the thing that surprised me, maybe you too, was just that at the end of it, well, one, the live action film was beautiful to watch Mm -hmm. um it was so serious and the cartoon was had so much humor and and almost camp is kind of how when I think about it like it it was campy and that did not exist in the live action one and really at the end of it um and especially after we talked about it a little bit I was like the cartoon is way more feminist way more subversive than the live action one. To me, the live action one really, you know, as we talked about, like punishes um, punishes unruly females, especially, Mm -hmm. and and reinforces kind of the patriarchy. I hear you on that. And I think that what we can go back for our listeners and do is a quick recap of both movies. So for those who haven't seen it, and I count myself among maybe the few people who sat out of a lot of animated Disney movies at a point when I didn't have to watch them. It wasn't part of my contractual obligation as a parent. 
Um, and just to give you a little sense of, you know, my generational perspective on this is that I was a college student when um, The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast came out. And my friends and I were fans because this was a new era of Disney animation. Um, these movies had so much humor and heart and amazing production values. And of course, it's just hit songs. So we were um, just my friends and I geeking out on these movies as as a lot of really kind of probably nerdier sort of um college kids were in the, in those days. And, uh, so we were, I was taken with it, but by the time the line came around in 1998, I think I was a little bit done, um, with, with just, you know, making every animated movie that came out, uh, an event that I would attend. And as my children who were born in 1998, 2003, uh, got to the age where we had to watch animated movies as a family. I, I re-entered that world, but this was a time when I wasn't watching it. So I only just watched it um, uh, recently. And for those who haven't seen Mulan, it's based on the Ballad of Mulan. So it was taken from legend. It was uh, a story of a Chinese villager, a young woman who um, essentially volunteers as tribute uh, to throw a, a little Hunger Games reference out there. And she ends up uh, taking her father's place and going to battle uh, and ends up being a, a legendary warrior and leader. And so Disney, I think, in an attempt to keep these princess movies going um, and trying to be diverse in the 90s they they picked up this story and they made what you know Sharon and I both found to be in a really charming and delightful movie you know when you're looking at it from a sort of Disney princess perspective it was it was amazing the the voice acting the, the singing was fantastic Sharon uh, referenced the humor um, in this film a really very ordinary young girl just uh, makes a sort of rash decision to steal away in the night to fight to, uh, I guess, the Forbidden City, to the Capitol, you know, to per perchance, I don't know if we know yet at that point that they're, that they are going to kill the, em the emperor. I think that is something we discover later, but you know, they, they have invaded. And so there's all this conscription going on in the in the villages and a member of each family has to go. So, so uh, Mulan's dad's the only man in the family and it gets revealed over time that he's a, was a great warrior in a different war and is really revered, but he's, um, he has a, I don't know if he, I don't think he's an amputee, but he has a severely limited um, ability to walk. And so the idea is that he would have to go, but, uh, she can't bear that thought. And so she uh, goes in drag. She becomes a boy. I think he is named Ping in, um, in the original, in the animated film. And she shows up for uh, training with her group of uh, kind of lovable loser uh, fellow soldiers, her battalion. And uh, they go through a sort of montage of, of training. There's lots of music. And a big part of the humor that Sharon referenced is that she has a companion 
along the way. She has a couple of companions, a little cricket that doesn't do much, but is charming and funny. And a dragon who uh, is one of the ancestors, but uh, who does not have his full dragon power because of some uh, failure on his part to protect one of her ancestors is very humorously shown holding holding his own head in his hands. So, so Dragon is played by Eddie Murphy. And of course, in 1998, we didn't know Eddie Murphy as Donkey from Shrek. So it was virtually the same character, um, which it takes nothing away because it's just the most delightful character. And, and Eddie Murphy is one of the greats. And um, he adds tremendous humor and is is her protector and supporter and friend along her journey. So the uh, story continues with her uh, battalion going out to fight. They have a very bad experience. Um, uh, they are bested. And then um, at some point in there, Mulan is discovered to be a female because she needs medical attention. And this is after, she, in both movies, she creates an, av an avalanche to kill a lot of the uh, enemies. And But after she creates them, the avalanche in the animated film, she's discovered to be a female. They don't care that she just saved them. She's out. She's gone. It is not okay that she was a, a girl pretending to be a boy. And then from that point, um, she has important information that she intelligence about what the enemy is planning. They won't listen to her on that. And uh, then in true Disney fashion, there's just a lot of action and fighting and excitement that that ends to a relatively fairy tale ending in which, you know, she saves the day. She gets to go back to her family. And I believe she gets gets the guy who is her captain, who we'll talk a little bit more about as we sort of dig into this. Yeah. Uh, and go ahead. Yeah. Well, I just was thinking in the end, the most kind of the coolest part about how they save the day in the cartoon Mulan is her and her gang of misfit warriors uh, dress up like women because women are invisible, which is a way that society ignores them. Um, but they also, but, you know, they're able to subvert that and um, sneak into the castle dressed up um, as ladies of the court and go, you know, save the emperor and, and beat the beat the enemy, which does not happen in the live action one. Mm -mm. <laughs> no, all. it doesn't. <laughs> no. Um, and the live action one, the story is almost the same. I mean, I think that the the some of the places where it differs that are important actually to our conversation um, are one that um, something that happens in the animated one, right, is that she's kind of outed. But in the live action, she actually just comes back to camp and says, this is who I am, um, at both to sort of the same outcome. But I thought that was an interesting choice. Um, I I did was curious if that was a Disney choice to not out a character um, in that way and in, in a different cultural time. Um, 
where that's sometimes seen as you know an act of violence and and obviously Mulan is 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 in drag right she's not doesn't identify um as a man in the film or uh in the ballad but the but the thing that um I had looked up I think Joanna had looked up was that in the ballad of Mulan uh is more true to the live action so Mulan does just come and say you know I'm a woman um which I think is really, you know, is just interesting. I don't. I'm not sure if they made that choice to be more true to the ballad, or or if my like suspicious nature is has uh, has any. <laughs> it's just my suspicious nature, or if that's part of it. I'm not sure. Um, and then the other thing I think is the witch, right? So yes. the witch is a character in the live action who. So she is this very powerful um, person who can kind of shape shift, and she's working with the Rarin, Ar- Rarin army. I think I'm, I'm probably saying that a little off the, as the Midwest contingent um, <laughs> that may happen, which I did read up on is more historically accurate, and the Huns that Mulan in the cartoon film. Um, it was is like considered to be somewhat racist. So they did. Ah. So I don't I don't know the full I didn't, you know, see much more than that. But I was like, Oh, interesting. So it's considered to be a little bit more accurate. But, but she, so the witch uh, is working with the the Rorans, and she's providing intelligence, she's kind of swooping in, she becomes a hawk. Um, and some of it, which is, I guess, mirrored in the cartoon, there is like a little hawk character that helps the the leader. Yes. Um, but in this, the, that person, that hawk is also is also the witch. And I think the thing that stuck out to both you and I in this was that the witch is totally one, a completely unruly female, and two, like a queer character. Like the yes. <laughs> absolutely. Oh my gosh! Yes. Yeah, I think when we first talked about it, when I watched Mulan, so my wife Sam saw parts of it with me, and the one piece that she saw was, you know, Mulan and the witch have kind of a little a little fight um, where the witch does ask Mulan to join them. Like, she's like, you can come join our army when when our leader defeats this person. We'll be exalted, basically, as we are, right? As we are, mm-hmm. not changing ourselves at all. Um, and Mulan definitely refuses that, but there's this moment <laughs> where mm-hmm. Mulan Mulan has a sword and her sword, and the witch just like pulls her hand up of it in this very sensual, very erotic way, and Sam just like bursts out laughing, like <laughs> like so, just almost over the top. Yes, and I'm interested that some audiences see this and they just this hasn't been noted in a lot of what I, in anything I've read really that, you know, there's just this extreme erotic tension between these two really powerful women. It has a sort of killing Eve vibe. It has kind of a Buffy, the vampire slayer vibe. There's just, it just, it really is a callback to a lot of these sort of coded and then maybe not so coded um, erotic relationships between women who also are sort of warriors against each other in the battlefield. So 
absolutely such a game changer. And Gong Li in this role is just visually so arresting, so beautiful, and truly uh, as as lovely as Yifei Lu is as Mulan. I mean, to me, just the most compelling character in this film is the witch. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So I think it's it's interesting, Sherry, to hear you talking about it because I'm recognizing as you speak that the new film made attempts to be perhaps you know more historically accurate with the Roarins, more historically are more sensitive to the times with you know Milan being the person who outed herself rather than that sort of unceremonious kind of really traumatic outing that she receives with being, you know, looked at by a doctor in the animated film. Um, so it's interesting because as we've talked previously before recording, this is undermined by the overall message that we get about the witch and about powerful women and about the reality of their experience, especially their reality, the reality of the experience of being kind of othered, expelled, um, you know, cast out. And uh, unfortunately, by weirdly sort of giving this Mulan, the live action Mulan, too happy of an ending, it sends a lot of really, really unfortunate messages about the real experience of being an unruly female. Um, yeah, I don't know if you wanted to talk a little bit more, break that down, some of the things that you and I both saw there, Sharon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things um, that I that I think is more clear in the animated one, and also that when I looked at the Ballad of Mulan and a little bit of like the context of it, is that um, you know, the Ballad of Mulan is so like popular and so powerful as a, a in China because Mulan was resisting the um, the emperor, the sort of the culture of um, this idea that you had to give everything away. You know that an old old person, an old man who is feeble. Um, is expendable, can just be conscripted into the army when it's clearly just so wrong. And so Mulan doing that act is seen as this like great, you know, kind of um, heroic thing in in resistance to the to the empire, to the emperor. And so in the, and in the cartoon, that's a little more um, clear, right? Because Mulan doesn't become or isn't invited, doesn't become like part of the state. She's always doing it kind of in protection of her father. And in the live action, then, you know, she, I mean, she does do it to protect her father, but then the whole series is about her being given this great honor um, of at the end of being offered to be in the military guard. And she refuses it, but they come back and ask her again, um, and apparently in the ballot, she was a military guard, but it wasn't like this great honor. It was just something that happened because of her, um, you know, what, what she did during during the war. Right. Um, and then, so, sorry, to get back to the witch, because I love talking about the witch. Um, so as we said, the witch was like banished out of society and kind of joined up with this this um, army to, to, get, to gain a place in society. 
Um, but she's ultimately, she, you know, in like the biggest like queer movie trope, she dies, right? She puts herself in the line of fire to protect Mulan from um, from death. So she jumps out in front of Mulan as the leader of the Roran army is, is going to shoot an arrow into her. So she sacrifices herself. Um, but it really feels like, like because Mulan rejects that kind of subversive feminism, um, you know, taking her own power and, and joining up with this other woman where there's clearly all this erotic tension. That's obviously also tied in with all these other things around power. Um, that it really feels like a lesson in like <laughs> in kind of the patriarchy. Like, um, don't do that. Don't be a woman uh, who's owning your power, who's, you know, we'll just call her queer, whatever, you know, who's, who's all of these things that are other, that are all of that. And that it's just like, you know, she dies. And that's what happens to women like that. And Mulan doesn't, you know, she doesn't resist at all. She becomes part of the state. She reinforces all of those things and is rewarded for them so that to me that's like really interesting and differs from the original film especially when you think about um how they took over the palace by subverting the power of being female which is double-edged so you're invisible but it also means you can access spaces Mm -hmm. um you wouldn't otherwise be able to yeah let's talk more about that that whole series of events in the animated film, because that to me and to you, we've talked about is so subversive and it's so, it rings so much truer um, than what happens in the live action film. So, you know, in the live action film, Mulan um, outs herself and it's not really very long before every all the dudes come around to just being like we've decided on a whim that we don't believe in the patriarchy anymore your single act mulan changed our minds and we're going to do everything you say you're our leader you've become our leader you were a private in our army so to speak now you're the general you're just this girl, but we're going to do what you say. And and um, we'll come back to the animated piece that, you know, you made this great point, Sharon, to me that uh, um, that this was kind of like a ham-handed attempt to sort of nod to me too, because what is it that they all do in that scene? Oh, right. So they all, they say, I believe Hua Mulan. Yeah. And, and then they, it's like they chant it, like the whole room starts chanting it. And it was after... <laughs> You know, like you said, this piece where the general of their army says, you're banished. She comes back to give him this intelligence. And he says, you're, you know, you're going to die. You're banished, basically. And then all of the men, you know, that she served with, mostly her friends, start saying, you know, you believe Hwadrun. Um, and then with her her male name. And so we believe Mulan, And it's like, it, it felt very, it did. It felt very like. Believe women. Yes, yes. yes. It's like a nod to that. I don't know if it was, but that's what it felt like. Exactly. Like it felt said. yes. It felt like that, and and it didn't feel earned as a viewer. I thought, how did we get from this place of just unrelenting patriarchy to a place of 
just just mass enlightenment about gender equality and and um it did seem a little uh, sort of shoehorned in it didn't seem honest in comparison in contrast really to the animated film in which they wholeheartedly reject her and it's interesting because they don't just reject her but she becomes like nothing to them it's just like they can't hear her when she talks from that point on you know she's trying to let them know that there's this danger to the emperor and it, it's i think in these scenes it's like her voice doesn't even register in their ears which is so profound you know this idea that and you see like the light bulb coming on for her it's like oh right i i'm you can't hear me you can't hear me as a woman I am, I'm just not here. So how can I leverage that? And as you were saying, Sharon, that leads to this, this plot, because she does have her faithful buddies who are still willing to uh, go with her and do what she says, her, her peers, and they dress as women and they can do what they want. They can do all of these really ninja-like things. They take these big sashes and they climb these columns and and nobody cares, nobody knows because they're just these silly women, so to speak. And uh, I thought that was uh, a really com- very compelling 1998 storytelling, you know, it's it's aged well. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I thought, and it was such, it was like a very, again, like very campy, very funny. I mean, it was a drag queen scene and I loved it. It was, it was. And you know, so many things that can be played for humor in animated movies. It's, it is harder to do in live action because one of the characters was just this giant and they used him and his physical strength to like save them from falling off a cliff at one time. And so I think him and in that drag is especially funny and and um you know things that they could have done in the live action, but of course the live action was so somber and you know there were bits of humor certainly in the whole uh section of the film in which they were, you know, becoming real soldiers. You know, there was some of the gross body stuff and and a few of those things, but just nowhere near the level of camp that we experienced with with those boys, but, but yeah, I thought, um, that was more honest. And one thing that was so resonant for me in the interaction between the witch and Mulan was, uh, the fact that Mulan prevails and the witch dies. And it seems like a a message that the witch accepts as she dies is that somehow, Oh, if I just been a little bit sweeter and nicer, if I had embraced the patriarchy or been more patriotic, if I'd just gone along, maybe I could have had the outcome that Mulan had. You know, that part of Mulan resisting the the witch is Mulan just denying the witch's reality, being like, I don't accept that as a woman and a, and a, and a superhero woman, so to speak, that that I'm going to have the same trouble that you have. You just see, I'm going to go over and go, go out and win them over. And she does. And this just, it, it, it negates the whole uh, trauma and, and experience of the witch. 
And, you know, this, these are just conversations I've had throughout my life on both sides. I remember in graduate school telling one of my professors that, you know, I wasn't a woman who's one of my professors that I just didn't feel that I was experiencing gender discrimination. And, and she very uh, understatedly said, well, as life goes on, you might. Right. It is a very much a younger woman, the older woman story as well. And that that rings, tr- you know, true to even the, the actresses that play those two characters. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, right. You know, Gong Li, this this sort of legend of Chinese film, like all the things that she's gone through. And then this young woman who y- Yifi or Crystal Liu, who's, you know, just taken, you know, international cinema by storm. And she's the one who sings that that reflection song at the end after Christina Aguilera. So she's like a probably like a triple threat, you know, singer, dancer, you know. So yeah, that's probably like there's something yeah. I think it also what's really actresses standing out to me is the controversy of Yiffy Lu um talking about this her support of the Hong Kong police and how that mm-hmm. that just feels like it just ties right into this idea of Mulan kind of, you know, reinforcing the empire, patriarchy, all of these things. And I don't know why Yiffy Lu wrote that. Like, I don't know what her real beliefs are, but based on, you know, some of the other things I read that the Chinese government asks, you know, forces asks if you can't be a star in China without, you know, giving the Chinese government's message and approved messages. And it just makes me kind of tie those things together even more. For sure. And, you know, China has control over Hollywood, too. Obviously, the way that Hollywood movies are edited and perhaps even censored are designed to please the Chinese government. And that because that market is so important for a film's international success. So it also affects the NBA. I mean, if it affects our most powerful institutions in the United States, it's not uh, a stretch to think that a young sort of ingenue in China is going to have to sort of recite the party line. And it's a number of these controversies. uh, We are looking forward to our colleagues, uh, Alex and Joanna, talking about them in an additional segment. But it does tie back into the idea of um, powerful women getting a pass if they can show sufficient patriotism, sufficient complicity with the power structure. And uh, you see that so many places. You see it in our politics. You know, I'm thinking about the Republican National Convention and Nikki Haley's speech and, and you know, how she's this really, in many ways, inspirational, powerful, brilliant woman, but the complicity that she has to show um, with the power structure to sort of maintain that and to get anywhere with that is is alarming and concerning and 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 yet so much a matter of course. It just we see it, it resonates through our world really that that for anybody to be empowered, you have to have a certain amount of um, patronage. And it's just, how do you get that? And then we go back to the witch 
who wanted to do this, live her life her way. Um, and she suggests, I think, to Milan that she tried. She tried to avail herself of the Chinese government and world and society as their ally and supporter and soldier because she wanted to be called a warrior. And they said, no, you know, that's just, there's, you don't fit into any of our categories. And uh, so that idea that the, the message ultimately of the live action film is if you don't do it in the compromised way, you just, you just don't get to do it. You end up a dead bird. <laughs> yes. So I just didn't get how she died there because she seemed a lot more powerful than that. Yes. Agreed. Like she could, she could like, she was helping that army beat everybody and get to the emperor and she just. Right. You know, died. It's like she decided it was just her time to die or something. I don't know. It was so ridiculous. It just wasn't, she didn't. Like, she didn't care about Mulan. Like, I mean, she shouldn't have cared about Mulan like that. Except that she was maybe in love with her. That's the only kind well, of... Yeah. I mean, right? But, yeah. Right. Right. But... <laughs> yeah, there's this other story where they've run away together. <laughs> I want to watch that one. <laughs> yes. I know. I want to watch that one, too. And, I mean, I also want to... I also just couldn't... I loved the interactions between Jason Scott Lee as the leader, the villain and the, the warrior, witch. but I, because it was just such scenery chewing and those performers are both fabulous, but I couldn't understand. I just didn't quite get her motivation for letting him call her his slave. And she indicates that she could kill him and his army. And I'm just thinking then like, why don't you yeah. like, I see you have an, a vendetta against China because they did treat you very badly, but her motivation in that was hard to, hard to suss out. It was, it was hard to suss out. So I think that those were the kind of the main things that we had talked about as far as, as the differences and and uh, different messages that both movies had, we did want to talk a little bit about kind of the um, love affair or nascent love affair that Mulan had with different men she served with. Um, like so, so initially, I think you had noticed Sharon as the movie was coming out. You noticed you know, there was buzz that. Mulan's romance with the captain had been taken out of the live action movie. And there was some concern that, that this was designed to sort of erase kind of a gay relationship. And could you talk more about that and sort of how it looked to you once you looked at both movies? Yeah. Yeah. So like I read that before and I was like, Oh, it's really interesting. I mean, but obviously the live action Mulan had like the ultimate gay relationship in it (laughs) between a lot of the women. But I guess, you know, when I read that, I thought that that character was going to not be there at all. But it turns out that she did have um, a kind of flirtation romance with a peer in her group instead of the captain. And that was 
Disney's way of avoiding kind of a Me Too moment in their film so that, yeah. you know, she she wasn't um, in a relationship with a superior. And honestly, I I thought both films had like a very sort of homoerotic, you know, the the other, whether it was the captain or the the her peer in the in the live action. Um mm-hmm. he, especially in the live action, he seemed way more into her when he thought she was a boy. And he there was even a lot of talk about not want, you know, kind of fear or not wanting to be with a woman or what would he do if he was married to a woman and things like that, which, yeah, I, I read, I was like, Oh, they didn't take that out at all. They, just, <laughs> it's they still doubled there. down on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point that in some ways it seemed like, you know, just a very, very old sort of safe way of dealing with homoeroticism, such as you would see it in Shakespeare with the, with the girl dressed as a boy but, you know, as you talk about it, Sharon, it did seem that the boy that she um, that she's infatuated with, you know, she sort of tips her hand in, in one of these scenes where they're sitting back to back and and, you know, she kind of says she does like you or, you know, meaning I like you. But uh, but it's a good point that that right. His just anxiety about girls is maybe a an indicator that it's just not for him. Right. And that's why he's so taken with this guy that he, uh, that he's training with. And, you know, they've got that. It's interesting too. I noticed the, the scene where I I did like in the live action movie, that's just like how they had the reality of how Mulan was afraid to take a bath and how disgusting she got. I was like, that's satisfyingly real. And then when she finally does go to take a bath, it's just her and her would-be love interest, as opposed to in the animated film, it's just, it's a silly scene where all the guys are in the water with her and, and, you know, she really has to make an escape. But in the live action film, it's a romantic scene. You know, he's really like, we should be friends. I know we got off on the wrong start, but this relationship's important to me. And, you know, she's so terrified that he's, he's going to see her lady parts also. And she's afraid of these feelings. And so she manages to leave, but, but you're right. And, and one thing that, I noticed in the live action film is that the minute that he sees that she's a girl, there's not a strong reaction from him. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like, Oh, you know, okay. You know, that's, I, I loved this person before I love this person. Now uh, I thought maybe that was perhaps kind of an enlightened choice, you know, a, a sort of 2020 kind of choice. Like we're not going to go through that whole thing that we go through when somebody realizes, oh, thank goodness I'm not gay, you know, because <laughs> that's that's such a thing in so many movies when there's that kind of gender reveal. But, uh, but yeah, that's, I thought it was a pretty nicely rendered relationship. And I did think one thing that was interesting in the live action movie is that it's not clear that they would end up together, you know? Right, right. There's a, maybe a hint at it, but not, but no, no, there's not really. You don't no, they, they have this very meaningful sort of hand grasp, like, let me touch your hand or let me, you know, mm-hmm. which is nowhere, which, which has some romantic feel, but it has none of the electricity of, of Mulan and the witches connection. So it's <laughs> noteworthy in that way, whether that was intended or not. 
but yeah, I thought that was an interesting nod to a sort of feminist ending where, you know, the big reward that she gets at the end of the animated film is, you know, that the captain, you know, asks for her hand in marriage. And at the end of the live action film, she just gets to be an officer and there's really no mention of her comrade. You know, it's right. just, it's just her career is going places, which is pretty cool. You know, yes, it's a career in, you know, for a, for a benign dictator. What is it? The son of the, what is he called? The son of heaven. That's what they call the emperor, the son of heaven. And that everybody's pretty cool with that. Yes. Yes. I mean, it definitely, yeah. Reinforces. It's like a, well, it's, she's been compliant. So she gets rewarded in the structure uh, that she's supporting. So yeah, she, she gets to, to be in that. So it's like that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that kind of, you know, feminist win, but that kind, yeah. But it's true. Um, it, you know, in comparison to the other, that's all about the romantic relationship. It's a different kind of thing. Very, very true. Yes, and you know, I think that in a for in the additional segment we're going to do on Mulan, uh, we'll go deeper into a look at Mulan's feminism and or its attempts at feminism, especially in the live action film, and how that went over like a lead balloon with Chinese audiences <laughs> and um, how, you know, the, the overall sense that I, I see reading different responses to the film is that they were trying to please many audiences and they perhaps pleased none of them yeah. because they, I think, went all in on the Chinese patriotism, but all the, but Chinese audiences were just really kind of nonplussed because the feminism was strange to them. And, you know, as uh, Joanne is going to talk about a little bit more, th this wasn't the creative vision of, of Asian writers and you know, directors and producers. It was a, a, a film made by white people with an Asian cast and that right, right. doesn't ring true for folks. Um, and I know she made some comparisons to crazy rich Asians, which does ring a lot truer. So we'll, we'll look forward to Joanna's uh, deeper dive into all of this. Um, but any more comments from us before we end this segment? Um, I mean, I still, I, I guess I just like to share that I did cry at the end of, of live action Mulan. I, it got me. <laughs> Yeah, I cried at the end of the live action Milan. I would say, oh, and this is something to touch on in both films, the relationship between the mother, I'm sorry, well, the whole family, but the father and the daughter was compelling. And um, I cried early in the animated film. There was something, in, and maybe it's because I had just watched the live action film, but in the animated film, the scene of her stealing away in the night got me emotionally more than it did in the live action. And something that we may touch on in the, in the additional segment as well is, you know, that in the live action film, Milan is essentially a superhero from early childhood. It's explained as quote unquote, she, which as Joanna will share means breath. So, you know, her breath is super powered, you know, maybe she, Maybe she breathed in a, a radioactive spider or something. I don't know, but but you know she's got she's got really special chi. 
um, which is something that I thought uh, was a little nicer in the animated film that that it was a it was a real hero's journey because it was a you know regular person who who fights really a tough fight to get through to become something better and greater and also as part of a community as opposed to somebody who comes in with with special powers although that story is very interesting too because they give the bird from the animated film this backstory of being another woman with these kinds of special powers so could have gone as we said to some very interesting places that it didn't go to with these two super powered women um but yeah it made me they both made me cry um the humor just the visual humor of the animated film was delightful just the scenes with the ancestors and and so there there was just all these wonderful sight gags in the original film like the some of the ancestors were like a, a chinese version of the american gothic i don't know if if like you caught that like it's just just so many quick kind of funny jokes so both movies really moving beautifully acted just gorgeous to watch the the live action film was mostly shot in new zealand but they did do some scenery shots in china and it's all just quite lovely so you know all things considered we recommend this if for no other reason because it's really interesting to talk about and think about <laughs> what they're saying to their mass audience but yeah and you should watch both you should watch i say you watch both Yes, for sure. And, you know, there was a sequel to the animated movie. So I'm going to have to decide how much I want to, you know, really dig in and see what the sequel is like. I'm going to guess <laughs> it's not as good because nobody's talking about it now. I just yeah. know Americans like Disney Plus is recommending it to me. But, <laughs> but you know, there are a lot of places to go with this. But uh well, thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Carrie. It's always good to talk. Yes, it is. And I look forward to digging into a lot more pop culture and other topics with you on future episodes of A Lot to Process. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you will subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. You can reach us at ALTP podcast at gmail.com. That's ALTP podcast at gmail.com. As ever, it's a lot to process, but not too much, thanks to our creative team, which includes Donna Anderson, Joanna Chen, Sharon Lewis, Alex Sievers, and Brianne Young. I'm Carrie Osi, and I'll see you next week when there will be, no doubt, a lot to process. <laughs>